episode number 29, The Bellows, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Hello and welcome back to the Title Block. I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and on this episode we present another session of The Bellows, a monthly informal discussion about theatre production that takes place at the Theatre Pass Marais in Toronto, Ontario. In this session of The Bellows, the guest panel discusses something that many artists dread, preparing your taxes. As many artists live close to the economic edge, tax time is a time rife with anxiety. And if you're anything like me, you try to avoid facing up to the juggling act of maximizing your income while appearing somewhat like an adult to the bank, and it rarely worked out. Well, on March 22, 2016, at Theatre Pass Marais, an expert panel sat down to discuss how to get your house finally in order. Moderator Kevin Hudson, head seat at Carpenter at the Tarragon Theatre, was joined by bookkeeper Scratch Anderson, Business manager at the Tarragon Theatre, Cresta Graham, chartered professional accountant, Ian Edmonds, and managing director at Nightwood Theatre, Beth Brown, to discuss how to make filing your taxes and ultimately getting paid for the work you do much easier and less dramatic. Once again, we broadcasted this through Periscope for those who could not join us, and I encourage you to log on April 18th. Uh, to participate in another informal chat about life in the theater. And of course, I encourage you to support the show through Patreon.com, where you can help me cover more events like this and bring interesting local discussions to artists across Canada. And you can find more complete bios online at thetitleblock.com. But in the meantime, here is the next session of The Bellows, Mo Money, Mo Problems. Hey, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> they heard taxes um, and they're not sure what to say. Welcome to Bellas. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of you have been here before, but uh, do we have any first time Bellas people? Yeah! yeah. 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 Growing. That's wonderful. Um, so, you guys are all the Bellas, uh, and you probably know what the Bellas is because you came to it. Uh, but the Bellas is sort of our monthly production panel meetup. And I think this is uh, one of the best examples of uh, the, so one of the, one of the ways we were creating this was all the things you wish you had learned in theater school. And this is something I wish I had learned in theater school. Any school. Any school, <laughs> any time, high school, preschool, like I really wish I had learned. So we're gonna learn a lot of great stuff about finances. Uh, who is the Bellows? Who is the Bellows? I'm the Bellows. Uh, my name is Christopher Ross. I run the Theater Pass my Backspace. Uh, I am the Bellows. Uh, my name is Pip Bradford. Uh, I'm a freelance production manager, director, installation art creator. Uh, I do a lot of things. <laughs> uh, my name is Kevin Hudson. I'm the head carpenter at Tarragon Theatre. You can tell I'm terribly competent because I have bandages on both my thumbs today. <laughs> yeah. Super good. And if by the end of this evening you haven't followed us on Twitter or friended all of us on Facebook, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So go, go to Facebook. Uh, we are The Bellows on Facebook, mm -hmm. clearly. Um, we also have, the, what is our Twitter? It's The underscore Bellows. I'm really sorry about The underscore. <laughs> You're the worst. I know, I'm the worst. God, I'm the worst. The worst. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so, the format of the night. Basically, this one's going to be a little different than usual. 
Um, usually we sort of have a panel discussion. Kevin uh, asks a lot of questions, people answer. This time what we're gonna do is everybody's gonna talk and we're gonna talk for 15 minutes-ish on basics of taxes, 15 minutes-ish on uh, your responsibilities if you're an employee uh, and like, you know, uh, pay stubs and stuff like that. And then we're gonna, uh, together we're gonna muddle through uh, being a, a contract uh, or a, a, a freelancer. freelancer, being a freelancer, and what that means, because there's a lot of a lot of stuff involved with that. Obviously, a little more complicated. Uh, and then after that, and really at any time, please come and ask your questions, because that's what this night is about: is you guys asking all the complicated, scary questions you have about finances. I will be asking uh, many things because I am terrified of this topic, and uh, I think this is a good time to have some beer. Uh, and then just really let loose with the terrifying questions you have. So uh, please, at any time, come up and ask them. If you have a question and you feel so embarrassed that you can't say it out loud, you can tell me and I will ask your question yeah. for you. Yeah. Pip will represent you. <laughs> the audience. The people. Uh, uh, real quick, I want to give some thank yous. Uh, and this is the part where I'm going to look at my phone so I don't want to forget any of them. Um, we are going to... Uh, TPM stands on... Uh, the traditional uh, lands of Turtle Island. Um, we would like to acknowledge uh, the Mississaugas of New Credit, uh, the Anishinaabek peoples, uh, the Huron-Wendat, and the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, uh, and the Métis. So uh, thank you very much to the traditional caretakers of our land. Uh, we would also like to thank uh, Title Block Podcast, who is podcasting, <laughs> periscoping this, uh, this panel, uh, thetitleblock.com. Please go to it, listen to previous panels, listen to this one sometime in the future. Uh, it'll be great. And also other excellent programming. So many things. So many wonderful things. So many wonderful interviews with designers. Uh, I would like to thank, uh, in advance, Jared, our bartender. Uh, yeah, Jared. Him a lot throughout the night. Uh, thanks a lot, Jared. Uh, and it is $4 steam whistle tonight. Uh, so buy some steam whistle. Get your steam whistle on. Scarlet has. Uh, so thank you to Steam Whistle, I guess, for, <laughs> for giving making us Steam Whistle. Beer. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, excellent. So I think that's... Uh, I also would just like to ask uh, if you have some spare change and you would like to donate, make a tiny donation to the Bellows, this jar will be on the, on the bar. It mostly helps us pay for alcohol for our panelists who are very generous in donating their time tonight and also to kick some Michael, money to Michael who uh, rents all these microphones and all this shows up here before we even do like he is always most dedicated he's member always here really. way before <laughs> us so we're still at the end here um and with that uh let's kick it to kevin and the panel fantastic thanks very much thanks, guys. <clears throat> this is genuinely terrifying for me uh finances are not the thing that i do um as scratch and castano both being uh, current and former employees of the Terragon where i am um, so we're not here to do your taxes, but we're trying to convince you that it's not that terrifying. Even in the, you know, two hours of research I did, it already seems a little less scary. Um, so we're going to walk you through the absolute basics of how to do your taxes and the absolute basics of how to be an employee. Um, <laughs> but first, we're going to get people to introduce themselves. Um, you know me and on my left. I'm Scratch, Scratch Anderson. I'm a bookkeeper, which is uh, an anachronism. I record financial transactions. And tonight we're also gonna come up with a new term for bookkeeping, so I want everyone to think about that. 
Uh, I'm Casta Graham. I'm the business manager at Tarragon Theatre, uh, formerly self-employed artist, so I know where most of you are coming from. Uh, and Yeah, that sounds that, good to me. That's it. There go. <laughs> my name is Ian Edmonds. I'm a chartered professional accountant. I have an office uh, around the corner, so I have my own practice. I work with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, as well as a lot of self-employed individuals in, among other things, the entertainment industry, working with people to try and make taxes a little more straightforward and, and less scary. And my name's Beth Brown. I'm the managing director at Nightwood Theatre. I started as a stage manager, and I remember the time when it was uh, either self-employed or employed and begging to be self-employed. That is no longer the case, however. Uh, and then I became a contract production manager and am now at, uh, at Nightwood. Sure. So, uh, taxes. It's not actually that scary. Um, you don't need to file every year. If you don't owe, they're not going to come after you unless you owe them money. That being said, it's a lot easier to file every year. Um, and doing back years is difficult. You have to find old forms and old software isn't that easy to figure out. Um, you're probably owed some money if you're an employee, so it's, it's in your, your benefit to file every year. Um, you can chime in at any time while he's going to sweat my way through this. <laughs> um, you can find pretty much everything you need on Canada Revenue Agency's website. Uh, you can file it yourself. They're really encouraging people to use e-file now, uh, nowadays with the <laughs> interwebs. Um, and it's, it seems relatively easy. There's lots of software that will autofill and do things for you. Uh, the deadline is April 30th, for the record. Um, the process isn't actually very scary. You just need Form T1. That's the, the basic unit of currency. Am I right? Yeah. Form T1, um, also available on the CRA's website. Um, you just fill out the boxes it tells you. It's really not too terrifying. Um, again, this is all just me within an hour. Um, so it's, if I can figure it out, you guys can. Uh, there are other forms that are necessary. You're probably gonna need to keep all your T4s, which are employment records. Uh, T4As are record of um, self-employed self -employed yeah. income. Mm -hmm. They so, also will be scholarships for people who are in school. Excellent. Um, so uh, I used to get a T4 from the Tarragon when I was full-time there, seasonal. And then I'd pull calls here, and they would give me a T4A from here. And so I have lots of T4s and T4As <clears throat> from many years ago, which need to be given to the government. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. Yeah. They don't need to be given to they the government. They don't need to be given to the government. That's the other thing, um, is that the government has them. Everything. They uh, know everything The government everything has about everything. You. They know everything about you. Um, <laughs> I am currently going through the process of getting the government to tell me what they know about me. So I've called them. But uh, to my eternal shame, it's been so long since I've filed that they have no record of who the hell I am <laughs> other than all these slips of paper. So I can't actually prove my identity to them. Otherwise, you can just call them, prove it's you, and they'll be like, all right, here, here's all your information. And then you can go through the process, and it's relatively fine. Saving, saving you calling them, they've recently in the last two years, Scratch and I were talking about this, introduced a program called My Account, where if you sign mm -hmm. up for it, you have to be relatively current in filing your taxes to be able to sign up. But if you sign up for it, you can then log in and see all the information they have. You can see the slips they've got. You can see your notices of assessment for the past few years. You can see all the tax information, how much tuition you have carried forward, if that applies, RRSP contribution room, TFSAs, all that sort of thing. Tax yes. savings account contribution room. Yeah. They really do know. It's a really great service and saves you having to phone them. For sure. Or in my case, if you phone them and can't prove your identity, there you go. then you they told they gave me an address to write to. So I have to write, send a letter to Sudbury. <laughs> 
with my SIN number and some details and my signature, and apparently that's enough for them to trust me and send them all of Kevin Hudson's information. Yeah, yeah, should be pretty good. So also, if you know his SIN and just want to write something, which some people in the city might. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because you totally want my financial information. Um, so, uh, on your T1 form, which is what you need to submit, um, not all of that information is going to apply to you. As I found out, there's lots of, there's hundreds of lines of text, and not much of it is relevant to me. Um, but it's stuff like um, child benefits. That will come in handy later, I'm sure. Um, so, uh, Schedule 1 is a separate thing. I don't really know how to describe yeah. it. But it applies, and it tells you... So it's a separate sheet of paper. Yeah. Um, and it, it tells you how much you made over the course of that year. So you fill it out. And then based on that, there's a number of brackets you fall into. Uh, and that tells you how much you owe having paid in taxes, which is fairly straightforward. Um, and if you paid more than that, then they give you money back. And if you paid less than that, they, they give it... Uh, you, you need to give them more. Um, Schedule 11 is uh, tuition, which is relevant for even me. So, and I went to school 10 years ago, so most of the people in this room will need, schedule, need to know about Schedule 11. Um, it's uh, tuition expenses, um, textbooks, all that kind of stuff. For which you don't need textbook receipts, very confusingly. Weird. So okay. You, you can throw them out. I have a bunch of people who are like, I lost my textbook receipts. Is this bad? No. Awesome. That's good to know. There you go. Um, and then I'm not entirely sure, this is not clear to me, although I'm sure it should be, but I'm a fool. So uh, Schedule 1, the T1, we're talking about uh, fe federal taxes. Federal tax. And then there's an additional provincial thing. ON-428. ON-428. I'm impressed I came up with that off the top of my head, Good but yeah. You. Amazing. ON-428 is well, your provincial that's why you got the letters tax. behind your name. There you that's go. Why. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, so you need to consider that, and it is a sim similar sheet to Schedule 1, which says you... You made this much money, you paid this much tax, therefore you owe or whatever. Uh, and so that all accumulates onto your T1 form. Kevin's detailing the 1972 method of doing taxes <laughs> to you, but sure, it is sure. the basis for what every, everything exists. On a piece of software, a lot of this will open up, a lot of it's going to be... Automatic. Automatic, cool. yeah. Um, that is actually the extent of my knowledge. So if we can go on to <laughs> software software that will make this easier for people, that would be great. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. One of the things that I'm going to suggest to you, if you already are doing it and filing your taxes, is to use one of the online services that have existed for the last 15 years. And specifically, uh, a company out of Montreal called uh, Dr. Tax and the... Uh, the software is called UFile, ufile.ca, carries your information year over year, opens up every single form that you are going to require, has all the detail that you need if you're filing for self-employed income and a host of other information. You're driving it on your own and you're paying accordingly. So the end result of that is about a $17 charge to you. You file that information electronically as well too, dependent upon where you are with your tax filing and it rolls that information over to you in the next year. That's just one of the several different forms of independent tax filing that we have in Canada. There are other ones that you'll see advertised in the next three to four weeks. They're ubiquitous, they're TurboTax, but this is the sort of range of prices that you should be paying. If your complexity and your situation is such that you need someone who's got a designation, 
that is where your amount of uh, time and effort is best used and put to a use with an accountant. But in most cases, just about everyone here should be able to complete their return on their own. Not to discount anything nope. that accountants do. They're incredibly busy, and they get even more so at this point in the year. You should, as a part of just experience, do your taxes every year. And it's not nearly as uh, bad as you would think. The software has made it intuitive, and it has an end result that is pleasing, and that you can <laughs> try different things to see if you get a different result. Right. Yeah. So let's say you are, like me, terrified. Yeah. And while you know the hour of research that I did was encouraging, I have several years, and I'm looking to get somebody to bail me out. Yeah. Um, what do I what do I look for in that? Do I need somebody certified? Do I need this, that, and the other? Um, how much does a return usually cost? If I can ask that. Yeah. If I can't, don't answer it. Um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of the I, I agree with Scratch on the doing your return yourself. I've talked to clients who say I've got a T four slip in my RSPs. Do you, do I need you to do my taxes? Absolutely not. There is no reason that someone who has a T four and their RSP slips can't do their own taxes. More importantly. There's very little I can add mm. to that. I, I right. can't tell you to do anything because an employee of a company can't claim any taxes. There aren't any loopholes. There's no secret tricks you can do. And so I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to end up charging you to do your return and say, yep, you file or whatever system you would have used would have given you the same number. Um, but uh, definitely for people who are, you know, way behind, finding back yep. software is challenging. Yep. Um, finding good back software is really hard. Um, and so, no, definitely I work with people in that kind of situation. Personal tax returns, depending on who you're working with, are if you're working with someone who's got a designation, you're not going to pay less than 150 bucks to get your return done. Um, right. And that assumes that you've got, like I said, I have clients who just don't want to deal with it and say, here's my T4, yeah. my RSP slips. And you're paying more that, when you do that's that. That's fine. Yeah. You know, they've yeah. got kids and busy lives and they say, I don't have the time to deal with this. Please make it go away. That's fine. Um, but uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, I, I will say that when I was doing contract work, uh, one of the things I found most confusing, and I still do, is what you can, uh, what receipts you keep. There we go. And mm -hmm. so I did use uh, an accountant once because yeah. I had a stack of receipts and I had no idea what I could write off. Yeah. yeah. Once you get into self-employed, that's when you want to be working with someone who knows that is their area of expertise. There's very little you can do as an employee that is wrong. And more importantly, if you mess it up, CRA will just fix it and send you a letter back yeah. saying, you messed up, <laughs> but don't worry, we fixed it for you. <laughs> and and that's it. Um, okay. Well, let's... let's uh, <laughs> They might send you a bill along with it, but, yeah. but they'll just tell you you're wrong and we fixed it. Amazing. So let's uh, stumble through the slightly scary world of self-employment later. Yeah. Um, as an employee, uh, it seems like it's relatively straightforward. So um, employee, employers must take deductions, is that true? Yeah. It's a statutory mm -hmm. obligation for Is that relatively to, new? Nope. nope. Uh, it's been in place since the Income Tax Act was put into... It's always been the employer's yep. fault. Interesting. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is a however to that. If you're working and you make less than a certain amount, there will be deductions that don't apply. Right. Yes. So uh, when I work at a new place, they give me a form to fill out. Yes. What, what is that? We were just talking about this at dinner, and it's the TD-1. 
Okay. And the TD1 is a form that exists and stays within house. It's there for you to depict your current circumstance. And from that calculation, we enter a value into the payroll software. And the payroll software does all of its black magic to derive which deductions are going to occur across the year for you. On that TD1, there's two different ones, one for Ontario, of course, one for the federal government. But there are things that are perhaps not applicable to your state in life right now, where there's children or if you're acting in a caregiver uh, capacity, certainly in uh, school uh, circumstances mm -hmm. as well. So it's just a way of rendering a value that we're going to place in a field in the software. Again, it doesn't go to Ottawa. It exists and stays in-house. It's also for us to cross-check to make sure that everyone's spelling their name correctly or putting the address details or any number of things that we have to determine who you are as well. So it's a secondary check for us. Yes? Please do, yes. Um, with regards to T1s, I've read before that if you've already filled one out that year, you don't have to fill another one out. TD1? TD1, TD1, yeah, yeah. Okay. So if, what if you're working in different provinces? You should have a different one for each province, okay. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a different one for each employer? I was going to say, yeah. yeah. You also have a different one for each employer. So if okay. you work for three different jobs, you'll have three different versions of that TD1. I see. And to keep <laughs> your own life simple, my suggestion, and people are welcome to say, hey, you're out to lunch. Um, Let's say you do regularly work three different jobs. You work one place on Monday, one place on Tuesday, and the other place Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Each of those places are going to, the payroll software is only going to calculate your income there. So if one job is paying you $6,000 a year and the next job is paying you $10,000 a year because you're only working there a short amount of time, they're gonna, that payroll software assumes you fall into a different tax bracket. So you might want to look at going to the more regular employer and saying, can you take extra taxes right. yeah. off And uh, that's what the TD1 the has. It has yeah. a field on there that you voluntarily determine how much you want removed from each pay period, and it accumulates that for you. So that when it comes time to complete your tax returns, in most cases that you've remitted enough and you're not sending money. Yeah, so this is relevant to me personally, so I'm going to interrupt you and ask quite my questions. Um, because I essentially, like I'm a nine-month employee at the Terragon, yep. and then I generally work the summer here for the most part. So if I'm splitting it in that sort of, you know, 70-30 uh, way, huh? how does that translate on my TD1s? Do I need to sort of do the 70-30, or do I just fall around to that? Ian has some advice on his website, which he can relate to you too, about self-employment and how much you should consider taking yeah. off and... These circumstances. So if you're self-employed, it's sort of around 30% of your income you should be setting aside for tax. The challenge with working for two employers is, as you mentioned, it depends on what your total income is at the end of the year. CRA doesn't care if that came from one employer or five. Right. Mm -hmm. But if the same, say, $50,000 came from five employers that each paid you ten grand, all of them said, oh, you only owe 300 yep. bucks in tax. Yeah. You file your taxes and CRA says, <laughs> no, screwed. you owe $10,000 yeah. in tax. Right. We've got 1200 We'd like the remaining yep. you know, 9000 from you. And you're responsible for it. So it does definitely become a matter of what do you expect your salary for the year is going to be? And then you know you can get calculators online that'll tell you roughly how much tax you're expecting to owe. And so I, I think this is the same reason why uh, if you have the opportunity to earn overtime, 
sometimes you'll do weeks that are effectively 80 hours with time yeah. to half and this, that, and the other. And then the government will take up half of it in tax. Right. Because every week, they assume you make that much every week. Every week for every the whole week. year. So if the you, software's if calculating. Is, yeah, that, yeah, that's what they're calculating on. That's why when you work super overtime weeks, much more of it is taken yeah. in tax. And why you sometimes reason. get a refund because of that. Because now they've taken off enough salary for someone who's making a huge amount of money. You file your taxes and you go, I didn't make that much. Cool. Okay, here's the rest back. So again, Kester's point, uh, to reiterate again, if, if you feel that you want more deducted, go to your standard or your most uh, frequently used employer and complete that form so that additional taxes deducted at source. That way you're only dealing with one entity that's taking more tax off yeah. for you. And the CRA has... You know. Sorry. Oh, quick question. On, that, on the form, do you write it in a percentage amount or in a dollar? Dollar. 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 And that's dollar per pay period? Per pay that's period, right. yeah. And generally, everyone in this room is probably 26 times a year. 80% of Canadians get paid 26 times a year. So if you so owe the government at the end of the year 250 bucks. 260, 260 bucks, bucks yeah. you could ask your employer, you know what, take $10 off yeah. every pay period, and then... You're covered. Unless you get a, a significant raise, chances are... Or start a new job. Or start a new yeah. job. But if you stay yeah. in that same position with a relative same salary, um, you should, at the end of the next tax year... Be okay. Yeah. Be close, awesome. if not okay. Yeah. <laughs> be better. Yeah. yeah. Just one more question while I'm here. Um, that, the, the line 12 on the CD1, that number that you write at the bottom, that you input it into the software, is that what they assume the minimum amount you're making is? Before, what, what is that? No, you're determining how much you want removed. It's really a, how you, much you can cope with. Yeah. Right? In a lot of cases, people want every dollar to them, and it's difficult to take off a certain amount. So it's, it's again, it's in your hands as to how much you want taken off. That's a standard basic exemption yeah. that every Canadian gets. Yeah, so if you make less than that, there's no taxes. There is. That'd be CPP. CPP. Yeah, CPP. Yeah, yeah. Not even oh, EI. Oh, not even EI yeah. on that yeah. one. Yeah. So there'd, there'd be some, but very little. What that's doing is certain people, because of their situations, can make even more before they have to start paying tax. That's what that form is asking you. Do you have one of these situations? So if you have four kids under 10, you will pay less tax that number will be higher. And so rather than you just getting a huge refund at the end of every year, you tell your employer through yeah. that form, I've got four kids and I don't need you yep. to take this much tax off. And they go, okay, we'll take less off. And it was a dinner conversation too. It's, uh, as far as we're concerned on our end, we think it's better that you have the money in your hands through the course of the year rather than waiting for a refund. Yeah. You shouldn't yeah. ever count on refunds. It should be balanced in a way from your employment income that you arrive at your tax return and you file and either you're accurate and dead on or you owe 10 bucks. It's ideal when it's done like that. Yeah. What does it mean if you put zero in that box? In the box for? 10, the zero means that you are you have a second employer. Yeah, you have a second employer and that you're getting deducted full amount. Yeah. yeah. And in software, payroll software, we can't put a zero. We have to actually put one cent in there in that field. To make it work, to make it function. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So oh, we there keep. Was a we keep yeah. Oh yes. Go also, go. Also, in regards to that, with filling it out with zero at the bottom. Yeah. 
I'm figuring a lot of other people have this too, where they'll literally get 12 T4s a year and fill out 12 or more of those a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, is it better to put a zero and say, yeah, I have several different employers or is yeah. it better to claim everything? No, if you have multiple employers and you're going to be using them over the course of the year, yeah, you should always select that zero value because you want that to deduct at full for each of those employers, just in the circumstance where you're not going to be totally clear on what and what you're going to be grossing. One that's specifically your most regular work. Yeah. Because for that, you would want the one that's your most regular to take your taxes. Yes. Off. Yeah. But if you're kind of everywhere the same amount of time, how do you figure that one? Should you only go for one company? Or in that situation, Our is it better to get taxes deducted across? Taxes will always be deducted. Even if you put yeah. zero, taxes will be deducted at all of them. Um, you'll still run into a problem if you've got 12 employers and you, or for example, and you make $5,000 at each one. None of them will take off any tax or much mm -hmm. at all. And at the end of the year, you'll make $60,000 and CRA will say you owe us a pile of money. Even if you put zero into those boxes, they still won't have taken much tax off. So that will solve your problem to a certain extent, and to a certain extent, you just have to do your own tax planning and say, okay, I know I'm working for more employers than were intended through this system. I'm going to start setting aside money on my own. Yeah. And that's just what you have to do if you're working for that many different employers. There isn't a way for them to fix it for you, except the voluntarily take off more tax just because. Okay. So we're now we're, I told you that working for one company being employee was simple, and obviously we've we've broken that myth immediately. <laughs> so uh, because I don't think a lot of us in this room actually just work for one employer, which is what we're hearing. So apart from filling out that TD one and keeping your T fours, what else do you have to do as an employee? Don't piss them off and get fired. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's a, usually a good standard method of making sure your income stays stable through the year. There's uh, you have to keep your timesheets. Presumably, you got to fill out timesheets and keep your timesheets. That sheets. is an accurate thing that uh, some people don't do, and we're, I'll go into this with, with some of the software that might be applicable to a lot of you as well. But uh, you all have obligations and and your employers, and it doesn't. I don't think our uh, session here is going to quite cover that. But it's uh, the standardization that's occurred on the employee-employer relationship is such that your role is quite passive, which is not to say that you. you and come to work and not do anything, but it just is a lot of these things are taken care of for you. Your employer is to obligated to remit what he's taken from your paycheck on a frequent on a regular frequency, and uh, they file on your behalf and they provide all these other standard things that are part of the Employment Standards Act or part of the federal regulations as well too. So there isn't necessarily beyond what I've just made a joke about, but uh, that's where you stand. Show up, work. Keep your contact information up to date, please. Yeah. Yeah. Please. <laughs> because when, for some reason, a payment doesn't go through if we're doing direct deposit, yeah. I, I'm astounded how often it happens. People change their banking account, like if it's direct she, deposit. She's brilliant, but she's not psychic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wish I was. But I want to know how to pay you, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I do want to get you paid for the work that you do. That's why I'm in, in the job that I'm in. I want to make sure that um, you come back and work for us again. So uh, phone, email, and... Full address. Full address. Yeah, postal code, too. With the supervisor, yeah. but also with whoever is signing the check or doing the direct deposit. 
Um, sometimes there's a bit of a backlog between department heads getting things to payroll. Um, particularly, as you know, Tech Week is crazy. So yep. if you've just provided new contact information, it could be six months before it gets to uh, payroll, if at all. Um, so and it's in multiple databases too, in, in all in all uh, firms. Yeah. It can be any number of places where your information is stored, where we secure it, but it can be in payroll software, it can be payment software, it can be in accounting software, Yeah. and it's a bitch to maintain. Yeah, so just pick up the phone, call us and say, I've moved, and we'll say if we need it in writing or if a verbal confirmation is all that's necessary. But I, I think another thing, too, when, when you're also on the phone, to provide some identity or some method for, to, for us to know who you are on the other end of the phone. We might not have met you in person or we might have worked with you for years and never met you in person, but we might ask you a question to to narrow who it is that we're talking to. Yeah. On contact information, if you move or change your banking information, make sure you tell the Canada Revenue Agency too. If they can't find you, they can't contact you. Um, and that's one of the common problems I run into with clients of mine is I'll tell them they ignored four letters from CRA and their answer is I never got them. Yeah, They do their best. And then they just start taking money from people. And I, I believe uh, we can update through my account uh, can, for yeah. address yeah. and banking information too. So it's another tool and another point of access that you can provide that to the CRA and it's done. So once you have your my account set up, you are able to exchange this information far easier than it was before yeah. where you had to send in letters as well. You're not, yes, question. Um, can you talk a bit about the, I think it might be called the T2200? Yep. For education? No, employment. Conditions of employment. So this is, I said earlier that there's very little tax planning that I can do for people who are employees of companies. T2200 is one of the only ways. In certain circumstances, depending on the contract you have with your employer, you might be responsible for paying expenses out of pocket that they will not reimburse you for. These could be supplies that you're buying. These could be meals that you're having to pay for if you're putting on an event. This could be travel. So if you're being told by your employer, we need you to drive around and pick up things for a production and we're not going to reimburse you mileage, then those are the kind of things that you can claim on your taxes. So you'll be able to claim them on your taxes. When you claim them, Canada Revenue Agency will write you back and say, hey, can we get a letter from your employer saying that they made you buy this stuff or spend this money and didn't reimburse you? That form is the T2200. So before you file your taxes, especially if you've got multiple employers, make sure you get one of those forms as soon as you can, because if you don't have it, CRA's answer is immediately, you can't claim those, we're taking them off your return. Now you're just out of pocket with no benefit to it. And do you need one every year? From one every year place? from every employer, yes. Unless you're not claiming expenses against that employer. But yes. No, because I'm, I'm a scenic artist. I work as an employee. Yeah. Places and not others, yeah. and uh, I fall in that category where it's complicated. Yeah. So um, I supply my own steel toes, respirator, work yeah. clothes, toolkit. Yeah. That I'm not reimbursed for. Now, for some of those things, once you've got a T2200 from one employer, you've claimed it against that employer. CRA won't ask you to supply one for every employer. So in the case of, for example, steel toe boots, you don't have as big a problem because you can say, I incurred it for this job and they've given me a form, I'm good. Where you will run into a problem is if you've got expenses that are being incurred directly for each employer. So if you're having to buy supplies for each of those jobs and they're saying, go and pick up the, the products and the tools that you're using for our job and you're getting different tools for each one, that's where you're going to need a different form for each employer. Okay, but I would still need one every year. Yes, it is an annual one every year. Every year.
Yeah. Great. You're welcome. All right. So to summarize, being an employee. Being an employee is easy. <laughs> See? It's super it's easy. easy. <laughs> except you need a TD1. TD1, your employer a, will ask you Your employer will ask you a T4 is what they'll issue you. Uh, they'll take deductions. You need to keep your information up to date. Um, and uh, contact information and direct deposit and et cetera, address, SIN number. Um, and what else can we talk about? They will take deductions and issue you a T4. Yes? Yes. That's and then there's the T2200, which is if you have to buy paint or steel toes or yeah. whatnot. Great. Um, so let's get into the super complicated bit. And by super complicated, it's, it, I'm actually kind of scared about this one. Yeah. Um, but you shouldn't be. So uh, let's say your name is Kevin. And, uh, <laughs> hypothetically. You, hypothetically. And uh, you have a sister who's a big foodie and works in that industry, and she set you up to do something called the Canadian Cheese Awards, which cool. does exist. Okay. And is amazing. Right. Uh, and so game. you met with this man who said, I, I need these things. And you said, okay, great. Uh, I can do it for this much money. Um, and in the process, I hire some people on his behalf. I rent gear and get reimbursed for it. Stuff like that. So this is a bit complicated, but basically instead of getting paid by a timesheet and a TD1 and all that stuff, I'm writing a contract yeah. um, and then possibly sending an invoice. First question is, does a contract count as an invoice? No. It no? could be all you have supporting an invoice. For example, if you rent a, a, an apartment, you don't have an invoice monthly. So the contract will show how much you're being paid. But okay. generally it's not. Okay. It may include a payment schedule. It may, yes. Which is, yeah, an area is almost the equivalent of having an invoice. Yeah. Now, okay. one of the other things is CRA and you personally don't really care whether you have an invoice or just a contract. If you receive $3,000, whether it agrees to a payment schedule or a contract or nothing at all, you still owe tax on it. Right, right, right. Okay. Excuse me. Um, so what should be on a good invoice? Because I'm sure it's possible to make a terrible invoice. All right. So yeah. this, this yeah. goes into uh, a discussion that Keston and I had about uh, some of the ways that people invoice and how you're going about that. You can take Microsoft Word and Microsoft mm -hmm. Excel and move them to the garbage can on yes. your computer because they are fraught with problems in doing this particular type of thing. It is difficult for you to know when you create an invoice Two weeks from now, if it got paid, it's not the same function as accounting software. You also run into problems with addition on these, and you also run into problems in rendering them, because in a lot of cases, you're pressed for time and you're making errors on them. So we see these things frequently. And a paper invoice, if it's wrong, here's what happens. It gets put to the bottom of the pile and we don't get to it until the next day because we're going to have to contact people and revise the invoice. So some of the things that we were discussing at uh, our requirements for us is uh, there's a piece of software that I'm going to recommend uh, a little later that's going to do timekeeping and invoicing for it. But the things that Kesta and I were talking about that we need on an invoice are... Okay, we need to know who you are and how to pay you. <laughs> that sounds really obvious, but... Um, if you have a company name that's different from your name, right. we need to know that. Yeah. If you uh, are incorporated and it's a business number that we're making the payment out to, we need to know that. 
Uh, we need to know how to reach you, phone, email, snail mail. Um, and we need to know what we're paying you for. So saying Just, 10 hours at $16 an hour, I need more information yeah. than that. Not right? for services rendered, yeah. You yeah, have to make so it I need detailed. to know 10 hours, $16 an hour, I was a light walker. Great, because that's going to help me get your invoice improved. I know which department head to go to. I know, and even better, if you can tell me what show you were on or what project you were on. And the, the date. Mo- and the yeah, date. date yeah. mm-hmm. The more details. I would rather get an invoice full of information than two lines on a sheet of paper. Um, From a blue line. Uh, you know, <laughs> because then it, it, it goes through approvals faster. I can look against my budget and say, yeah, I was expecting 10 hours of light walking, or it goes through the department heads much faster. Um, if you charge HST, if you're self-employed, I need your HST number. Uh, most payment softwares will have a process that it will check that that's valid. So if it comes up as invalid, you're not going to get... We, can we pause there and work yeah. on HST numbers? Yep. Sure. W- what the hell? harmonized sales tax is the outcome of uh, goods and services tax and we use it in Ontario because it combines the two levels of taxes after what 150 years of confederation we finally got it together and we are putting uh, the same sales tax in a single entity sure harmonized sales tax so when do you need one an agency number if you make more than $30,000 in any Pregnancy. One year Pregnancy. in any in any yeah. twelve months, you have to register for HST. If you're not <laughs> sure, you can register early, and it's generally not going to be a problem. It's now, is that at thirty thousand dollars period or thirty thousand dollars as a self-employed? Thirty thousand as a self-employed well, person. Yeah. Okay. Fair point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if I again, if I'm working nine months as an employee and then three months as something else entirely, just the self-employed okay. income. Thank goodness. There you go. <laughs> Question. <laughs> Question. You don't register for one, and you make over thirty thousand dollars. So, we were we were actually talking about this just before. <laughs> yeah, you have two choices. You can go back to the people who paid you, Oof. say I goofed. You owe me an extra thirteen percent. Good luck. Lo- <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. a great conversation. What much more likely no. is you'll go back and say, Hey, I received ten hours, sixteen dollars an hour, so I got one hundred and sixty bucks. And CRA will say, Great. Included in that was your HST. Cough it up. Yep. So your pay goes from sixteen dollars an hour to. an hour, whatever that number is. So you have to pay the HST either way. You're probably taking it out of pocket if you missed it and can't go back to your employers. And keep in mind that if you are registered for HST, you're collecting money on the Queen's behalf. That's the legal sort of idea behind it. Don't spend it. Don't spend it. She gets really angry. (laughs) Can you make interest off it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, but you still have to remit it. Yeah. My, my yeah. recommendation at a high level, and you notice this on my website, if you're self-employed, take 30% of everything you receive, dump it in a savings account. That should, until you're making more than about 80 grand a year, cover off your taxes, personal taxes, and your HST. That's sort of the really ballpark. But yeah, absolutely. Put it in a savings account, earn interest on it, yep. put it in a TFSA if you want. Yeah. Uh, you still should probably make installments, too, if it gets really out of hand. You still, through the course of the year, should be making installments from that account yeah. so that it builds up at the end of the year. Yes? Once you have an HST number, do you have to register yourself personally as your own business, or are those separate? We had a conversation about this. If you register Popo the Happy Catfish 
as your business name. That's what you need <laughs> what? to invoice <laughs> consistently. You can't change how you invoice. Number, you, you could put different business names business, underneath it, or can you just still say this is my name? You could, with my yeah, HST you can have a business that is Ian Edmonds, and here's my HST number. That is a business. There are three different legal structures in Canada, I'm not going to go into them, but they are a sole proprietorship, which is just me operating as a business, and that can just be called Ian Edmonds. That's a business. You can have a partnership, which is Ian and Sue. That's a partnership that can be registered as a business. You can have Ian Edmonds Professional Corporation. That's a corporate entity. It's its own legal entity, way more complicated, and that's a business, and it's got its own business number. So, do you have to be a business? You don't have to you incorporate, have but you okay. to get an HST number that is registering a business. Yeah. Okay. They want to be able to determine specifically the taxpayer that they are going to go after, who's responsible for that. You can't escape these. Uh, so if you have a name for what you do as, uh, as uh, a light walker or a tech and you've given it some sort of uh, business name, tell the CRA what that business name is and you could attach it to the HST number that you've already put in under your own name. We search in the GST registry to determine the accuracy of people's HST numbers, mm -hmm. and we matched against the name they provided on the invoice, and not frequently, but enough times, uh, as Beth and I were talking about earlier, uh, we get duds. And that registry, by the way, just on that, doesn't have a way to tell me what the business number is for a sorry, what the name is for a certain business. So if the name for the business is not exactly yeah. on your invoice, yeah. so if you're under <laughs> Jane John Smith and your invoice just says Jane Smith and you provide the HST number, they'll just get an answer back saying that's not the right HST number. Now they have to come back to you and say, okay, well, what is it? Yes. I just had a question. Is an HST number, um, when you're registered with your business, though, the same thing as when you go to buy something in a store and, you, and they say, oh, do you have a business number? Like, so in the paint store, they'll have one price for a paintbrush and then a trade price for a paintbrush. So your HST number is 15 digits long. It's nine numbers, RT0001. The first nine is your business number. Yeah. So if you want a business number, that's your business number. Um, the rest of it is the HST part. But it's combined. It's combined. The whole 15 digits is your HST account. Realistically, for most people here, that's the only account you're ever going to use. Have, yeah. But if you register, say you hired employees, actual employees, you have your own payroll account. You'd have our, the same business number, RP0001. So again, most people will only ever use the HST account. But the business number, the nine-digit number, is your business's number. And then the part after it just says this is an HST account. Uses the same algorithms as your social insurance number. So anything that we input it into, it will check the value to make sure that it's a, a valid HST number as well. Yes. Uh, if you did goof and uh, you want to go back to one of your employers or multiple of your employers and ask for the extra HST. Sorry, they, one of your one of your engagers, not your employers. Mm -hmm. right. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are they in any way required to give it to you? <laughs> It's a difficult conversation, <laughs> specifically if you've done this and the uh, role has somewhat uh, diminished or it's not gone well. It's not really something that's uh, their complete obligation to do. They might do it to be good to you. 
the other problem you may run into. Technically, as long as it's agreed, yes, they're responsible. But if you have a relatively vague contract yeah. that talks about, you know, you're going to get paid $16 an hour, they can make the legitimate argument, we thought that included HST, yeah. that's your problem. Yep. Especially because a lot of them will say, you know, you're responsible for your own taxes. HST is a tax. Um, and so, yeah, if you don't have that discussion up front, you can try. And I have some clients who have one or two very big clients of their own who are HST registered who don't care and said, sure, we'll cut you a check. But generally, it's hard. It's a hard discussion to open to. Yeah, and per right. particularly if there are entities that don't have a lot of cash on hand. And so HST is still a cash output for a lot of, a lot of businesses. Right. One other thing while we're on HST, HST, you are going to only remit some of what you collect. So any expenses you pay out of pocket, you're going to get back the HST that you pay on it. So that's the reason that those employers won't, or sorry, those engagers won't really care if they have to pay you the HST because they'll get it back when they file their own HST return. So it's important to keep your receipts, especially not just the credit card statement of a receipt, but the complete receipt that shows you paid HST because when you file your taxes, you get that HST back. Amazing. So uh, we were on uh, what's on a good contract or invoice. Yes. And we said uh, contact information, uh, description of what you did, uh, date, obviously your name and address. Now, if you work under an alias, let's say I was K-Dub, that's in because I am. Um, I'm not really. Uh, then I should, I, it should just be my given name, the name that's cashing the check, presumably on that invoice, and not my nickname at I'm Awesome. Okay. No. Uh, and Unless then, that's how you registered your business. Right. Yeah. Which okay. means that has to be there. Okay, great. Um, Popo the Happy Catfish? Popo the, Popo Happy, the Happy Catfish. Happy Amazing. Uh, which is your, your business, That's isn't you, okay. you do, you do potentially run into an interesting problem if you get your checks out to Popo the Happy Catfish. Yes. That when you go to your bank, they may not want to clear it. Imagine that. Because then they'll yeah. say, but who is this? And why right. are we clearing these checks? This <laughs> isn't Well, funny enough. Yeah, so I've, my last name is spelled with a T. It's Hudson with a T. But I've cashed a lot of checks for Kevin Hudson. They may not care. And a few more checks for Kevin Hutchinson, which is weird. There you go. <laughs> but like, anyway, so I just get paid. Anyway, it's fine. Uh, and the HSD number we've gone over, and it sounds complicated, but hopefully it's not. It's not. Uh, the form of payment, too, should be something that uh, you would have designated in the contract, too. You want to have something, and this is a different discussion, but in contract law, you want to make sure that those are dead Accurate. As so to payable by check or whatever? By a certain date. When? And when. On the date, yeah. okay. And so that there isn't any slippery maneuvering out of a contract. Anyone is there here? Is point in adding uh, interest for late payments? I've seen that on tech You could, but that's always a negotiation with a vendor, right? They, they can just tell you to go jump in Lake Ontario. Is there, is there a specific date which they're required to pay you by? Nope. Is there? No. Nope. No? Nope? As a self-employed person, unlike an employee, that's just a contract yeah. matter. Employees right. can make claims. Self-employed people are business people doing businesses yeah. with other businesses. So in the same way, if you hire a painter and they do a lousy job painting your house, you say, I'm not paying you. They can take you to small claims court, but that's it. Right. Okay. Um, anyone here doing work outside of Ontario? The, if you're registered for HST, the HST rate you charge is the rate of the province you're working in, not Ontario. So if you're working in the States or if you're working in Quebec's got a different one, Manitoba, I don't remember. Um, but if you're working, BC has a different one, they're five. Yeah. Um, so if you're working in another province and you're registered for HST, you're charging their HST rate, not yours here. Okay. Uh, anything else on a good contract? 
Certainly, you should uh, give yourself uh, uh, the total amount, a, a breakdown for each uh, uh, installment and the dates for when that's due. It might not uh, be a bad idea to specify how you want to receive it. To, you can specify, and maybe your engager won't necessarily fulfill that. Suitcase but, full of cash. Well, <laughs> a check or yeah, or bills. direct deposit. Direct. Or, yeah. In okay. some way. Unmarked and unsequential bills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You may not get yeah. what you asked for, but. Try. Okay. Loosely piled. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Smaller than 20. <laughs> Uh, awesome. <laughs> okay, you in quarters. Uh, so, uh, so let's say the cheese Loose. awards went super well, and you are, re you. I went to Long McQuaid. This hypothetical person, I mean, went to Long McQuaid. Hypothetically, hypothetically went I to. I love how much research went into this hypothetical situation. It's great. It's a very fleshed out character in my mind. Um, so he went to Long McQuaid, and he maybe rented some mics and some sound stuff, uh, whatever that is, and uh, paid Long McQuaid by credit card got reimbursed. Those all pre presumably need to be uh, have receipts filed because what does that mean on my taxes? You got reimbursed for the receipts? Yeah. They don't mean anything on your taxes. You've already got the money back from your engager. Okay. Right, so those receipts should go to the engager. They're the property of the engager now. They but the engager paid me an extra fee. Does the government look at that and say, well, you actually made an extra $500 because the gear was $500? Yeah. So... If the two net out perfectly, so if you're you know, taking your receipt for Long and McQuaid to your engager and saying, here I bought $150 worth of rentals, and they give you 150 bucks, you're good. Where it's different is if you're in the case of providing a podcast, and you just happened to rent equipment or didn't, and someone says, you know, we're just going to pay you $1,000 to come and do this. Right. If you have to rent your own gear, that's your problem. If you don't, that's fine. Right. Um, and so in that case, you're not being reimbursed by anyone. So... And this is where, if you're an HST number, you are your own business, a sole, sole proprietorship. Business, yeah. So does then, it's a revenue versus expenses equation? Even if you don't have a business, a business number or an HST number, you're still a sole proprietor and you still have to deal with all of this stuff. You're okay. just small enough that you don't have to register for HST. They took saving grace on people who were small and said, you're under 30,000, don't bother with HST, do all the rest of it. Okay. Um, but... What you're looking at in that case is if you're being fully reimbursed, as Scratch mentioned, it's not really your expense. You didn't rent the mic equipment. The person who engaged you did because they've basically taken the receipt and just given you back the $128.50. But if they say, we'll give you $1,000 and you say, well, actually, I'm going to have to rent some gear or we'll give you another $500. Yep. Now your right. income's $1,500. Yep. If you can get that equipment from a friend who just shows up and you give them a couple of beers, then great. You still made $1,500 and the rent didn't cost you anything. Clear okay. on that. It's fifteen hundred. You're getting more money, and you're responsible for that. It's taxable income now. Yeah. Right. Uh, what about a cancellation clause? Sorry. Sorry. Yes. What if your uh, the actual example is Next Stage or Fringe, where you get a box office revenue? It's a profit share, and you have to pay people. Yeah. Uh, and they're not necessarily writing you invoices. You've written an agreement. You've signed an agreement. But you're going to cash that check and then pay them all. Uh, I've got to excuse myself here on this one. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So they should be invoicing you as the first one. Um, because otherwise, when CRI says, where did this $300 go? And you go, I, I gave it to someone. For what? To pay what? 
and how do we make sure that they paid the right tax on it? You have nothing, and so they'll just take the expense off. So ideally, or if your agreement, this goes back to that sort of contract invoice. If your contract says, you're going to do this work on this day, and I'm going to pay you 300 bucks for it, great, that's what I'm going to point to as my support. But you need some sort of support for any expense you're paying. If you're in that sort of box office share, you will collect your 500 bucks for the evening, and you'll pay someone 100. Your income is 500, and your expense is 100. Um, you're never wrong to include both the income and the expense. If you do that with the reimbursement, that will put you in the same position. You'll say, I made an extra $150, and I spent another 150 renting lighting equipment, mics, that sort of thing. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Cool. Uh, cancellation clause. Is that the thing you put in a contract? Is that the thing you need to? I mean, this is contract law and not contract. particularly the accountancy, but. That's a contract question. Again, you certainly can. Yeah. Um, depends on the. Part of this depends on the negotiating power of the two people. Um, you can try, as Scratch said, you can put whatever you want in a contract, yeah. <laughs> whether they're going to agree to it or not. You can send them an invoice saying, hey, you canceled on me last minute, here's an invoice for $300. They can, here's what'll happen. They can then say, we're not paying that. Your choice is now take them to small claims court or walk away from it. Right. The second problem is that in most you know, entertainment industries, they're relatively small. Try taking your clients to small claims court, you're gonna find it hard to work pretty fast. Right. And on the same hand, too, we're in a select group here of, of people within the same industry, too, and this is something that you're sharing amongst yourselves. These sorts of events allow you to exchange that information. If someone's a prick, it's not likely that you're going to keep that information to yourself. Yep. And Indeed. So that yeah. That poisons the waters for everyone. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would right. never happen. You can also, again, going back to the cancellation, Another thing you can have is the ability to get paid in advance. Right. Again, someone may not agree to it, but I know that, for example, if I have a client who comes to me and says, well, you know, I'm really strapped for cash and I'm thinking, I had someone who came to me and said, I'm thinking of going bankrupt. Great. I'd like to get paid before I start on your returns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just saying, yeah. Yeah. you told me you're yeah. going to file bankruptcy soon. I'm not holding my breath for being paid afterwards. Huh. Uh, Somewhere that a cancellation clause isn't unheard of is on a design contract. So if you're designing sets, costumes, lights, and, yeah. you, and you're set up for three installments, you know, on, on signing, first day of rehearsal, opening night, which is a pretty standard um, yeah. schedule, often in those design contracts, particularly if you're covered by ADC or any other design um, organization or entity, if you've done the first bulk of the work and the show gets canceled, if you've been paid, you've done the work. You yeah. should be paid for your work. And so there would be something in that type of clause if the show gets canceled at this point, if it gets canceled here. Yeah. You've got um, the support of an organization. You've got the support of an organization. Yeah, but there are a lot yeah. of, um, particularly the larger theater companies that will use those contracts as the basis for their design agreements as more and more designers move towards that. Um, so for those types of situations, you can look at the language there. Um, yeah, and when we're designing contracts, we're really looking at the points where we're getting something for yeah. the work that you're doing. So, so when you're looking, when you get a contract from an organization or you're creating one for that organization, it's really great to have those deadline points. So you're like, I'm here at this point and I should get paid this much because this is how much work I would have done by this time period. So that kind of lines up with the design. Designs, yeah. Finals. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're a writer, first draft, second draft, production draft. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, uh, 
I'm just going to try and summarize again because this is very confusing. Uh, so uh, as a self-employed contract worker, go, go ahead. Uh, oh, no, I just was checking in. We're at about an hour. And yeah. I was just wondering, how's everyone feeling? Good. Panelists, yeah. you're good to keep good. going for a little bit? Yeah, okay. yeah. awesome. <laughs> more water, yes. please. Yes, more water, please. More water? Great. Yes. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so so, so uh, typically, I think most of us will represent a sole proprietorship. Yes. Um, and so if that's our sole source of income and we plan on making more than 30000 we need to register for an HST number. Where do we do that, precisely? They'll sometimes contact you. <laughs> yeah, and that's where they've... Uh, that's bad. Uh, yeah, it's... it's not it's the tricky. It's not the preferred. <laughs> you don't method. want that to happen. Again, I, uh, we we drive back to this idea of making sure that you're making use of what's there as far as uh, internet uh, capability that the government's put in place, because it works after hours. Because it works on your schedule, if as much as you can, there's uh, different portals that you can use to access to get HST numbers to access different levels of services. Service Ontario is one of them. And that is a one-window service that you can register any number of things. And similarly with the CRA and then Service Canada, there's different methods of accessing and obtaining those services. To get someone on a phone now is enormously difficult. And to do <laughs> transact by paper is even more so. There's far fewer employees in the public service. And your ability to uh, get a fast answer is diminished. And so this is why... The electronic services are, are are featured and pushed as much as they are. Yeah. So the Service Ontario website is Service an Ontario easy way to do for, it? for certain things, yes. Okay. You can certainly register for an HST number directly through CRA. Um, one thing that I do run into some clients will find is that you can register for what's called a master business license. Right. You are not required to do so, um, and. I believe that costs a little bit of money. So you can operate as a sole proprietor with an HST number and it not cost you a penny to get the business set up. Okay. So, and then as a sole proprietorship, you're responsible for paying taxes on your income or is it income versus expenses? Net income. So income Net after income. expenses. Okay. Good to know. And so as, because that's um, essentially, can we call it profit? Yeah. Okay. Profit. So essentially you're paying taxes on your profit. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you need to keep very careful records of what you make and what you pay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Biggest one. Right. A lot of, yeah. uh, keep your receipts. Keep your receipts. Now, what sorts of receipts? I'm sure we could do a hour discussion oh, on God. this. Uh, this is something that just drives us crazy. Receipts. Receipts are your Titanic uh, level of uh, goods that you have to maintain across years, and they are something that you need to keep secure and unfettered and unmarked and completely uh, accessible readable. and readable, yeah. Because uh, one of the problems that we've had in the last 20 years is thermal paper degenerates almost from the second that comes out of the printer. Mm -hmm. And if it's exposed to light or you write on it or it has markers or Well, let's say I keep anything. a bunch of receipts in my wallet and I cycle wallet, everywhere. Yeah, or it's on Hi the dashboard. Highlighter. Yeah, right. highlighter mm -hmm. erases these things. So you really have to be careful about these things, uh, secure them uh, out of the light, uh, don't write on them. and Or scan them. Or scan them, yeah, which is something that is another piece of software we'll talk about as well too, which is a method that the CRA accepts now. Like you said, you could scan them or photocopy them. 
do they need that original receipt? Like if it's no, on thermal no, paper? No, no, now, now they've copy. said you you can, they'll accept the, the scan now, that's the rule, but you have to destroy the original. Okay. Digital yeah. copies are yeah. fine, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, Keep them all in one way. If you're going to scan stuff, don't scan some of it and not others. Keep right. everything in digital. Um, and as far as what receipts to keep, keep all of them unless they are blatantly personal. Yeah. Because the worst thing that will happen in my situation is I'll have someone who sits down with me. It's easy to prove how much income you made. It's hard to prove how many business expenses you have. And if someone comes in and sits down and says, hey, I can prove I made $80,000 of income last year. Great. What expenses do you have? Well, I didn't keep a lot of receipts. Okay, then you're just going to pay tax on $80,000. Yeah. That's not your profit. It really isn't. But you're going to pay tax on it, and it's going to hurt. Uh, and so, yes. If scanning is acceptable, are you able to take pictures of receipts yeah. and then just file them in yeah. different folders that way? It, yeah, it's just whatever memory capability you have, too. And, and the recommendation that uh, I've had at a bookkeeping conference, and there is such a thing. <laughs> Imagine how much fun that is. Tax conference. <laughs> tax conference is even better. Bookkeeping uh, is that the uh, scanning capability is there, and you should park, like everything else, you should park these things in a secure service that you think is adequate and has enough capacity for you. So information banks exist for this purpose, and they'll keep your material there on hand and available to you across the years. So keeping your records for seven years is your responsibility, so make sure wherever you're keeping them, if it's on your phone, Make sure they're backed up somewhere because your phone is not going to last seven years. Yeah. So it's all, yeah, it's just going to be park it, park it somewhere where even the, like the capacity that Google gives you Google is Drive. more than enough, right? Google Drive has heaps of it. There's some really great and some are free um, bookkeeping software where you can scan your receipt right to your bookkeeping entry so that you can say, you know, here's my restaurant expense that I went out and, you know, I had dinner with so-and-so when we negotiated the following contracts and it's right there you've got your your entry into your um whatever software whatever you're software you're using but some of them are really easy and some of them are right from your phone like you, you right there in the restaurant before you're done or you're at staples and you've yeah. just bought you know ink and paper and whatever else boom picture of the receipt and that's it goes. the time to remember, too, what the expense was, too, because in a guarantee in a month from now, you're not going to know what you were drinking and who you were drinking it with. Which job it was for. <laughs> which, which job, job it was for. for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So uh, you need to keep all these records. And, and so receipts of things you can write off. Um, I'm thinking, obviously, tools you can write off, mm -hmm. um, supplies, uh, things like that. And things I'm thinking you probably can't write off, and there might be exceptions, are things like rent, Things like food. Rent's okay. Rent's, Rent's okay. okay, yeah. Rent's okay. Rent you food. can. Yep. Rent's okay. Food's okay. And some the whole amount of reasonable. So and these, these are things where you'd go to in and you'd, yeah. you'd get if, a value to right. use. If you're self-employed, yeah. you've reached the stage where I'm suggesting talk to someone about it. The problem is that I sit down and I have a 40-minute sort of tailored discussion with people about these are the expenses that are okay for your industry. These are the ones that are not. For example, I work with a lot of people in fashion and entertainment. I wear a nice jacket when I go to a meeting when I go to a panel, but I can't call this a business expense. CRI just says you have to be nicely dressed because you're a business person. But then you run into someone who's in specialized industries. Steel toes, those are business expenses because of the work you're doing. Then you run into this gray area of what happens if you're asked to go to a, you know, a call or a casting and someone says, you, know, you should be wearing X, a mm -hmm. blue polo shirt, because that's what we want in this, for this role. And you go buy a blue polo shirt at a business expense, that's where you start running into the answer to that all of a sudden becomes maybe. 
So other than an accountant who can probably research this, is there yeah. a place you can go to pick hard and fast rules, or are those just generally no. going to be gray? Yeah. They're, they're gray. Right. Some, some of them are blatant. Yeah. You know, business cards, business expense. Right. Um, website for your services. Website development costs, business cards, or business expense. Pres some of them yeah. blatantly not. You know, mm -hmm. what was this? This was me, uh, you know, Renting a cottage with friends. Even that's a bad example. I can find ways to make it a business expense, too. <laughs> but, okay, well, let's, let's say something like a cell phone. Make him your friend, I think. Sorry. Am I correct in uh, wondering if you get to the point where you are your own business and you are expensing X, Y, and Z, maybe is that the point where you go to Ian? Is yes. that the point where you need to count? Yeah. And yeah. Can, can we write off your fee? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's a business expense. The, 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 general, the general litmus test for a business expense is to generate or maintain business income. The problem is that that concept is broad, the industries are mm. broad, and as you said, that's where you've moved from, oh, my taxes are simple because I can't add anything to them. I can't tell you, you have a T4, great, you should include that in your taxes, otherwise you forgot it. But <laughs> then you run into, I'm a self-employed person, and now all of a sudden your taxes have become complicated, and yep. there are areas where either you can mess it up and end up owing way more than you should, or you'll end up in situations where you just go, oh, I didn't realize I could claim this stuff. Mm -hmm. you know? okay. I went to a cottage with friends. I can make that a business expense. Oh, we got lots of questions so, in this. Well, okay. can, can, let me just jump in here. One thing is yeah. T4A, so just before we touch on this. Um, yeah. so much so, fun. Oh, God. Oh, you know what? Never mind. Let's go to no, questions no. first. Can, <laughs> can, I, can I give a quick answer on T4A? Well, because I used to get T4As all the time, and now I Here's the problem. Yeah. So the official administrative policy on T4As from CRA is they are optional. Yeah. It used... Originally... Originally... <laughs> originally <laughs> Originally, T4As were for things like commission or scholarships. They were really clear, crystal clear on what they were for. Then a couple years ago, they had a brilliant idea drawing from the U.S. saying, we're going to oh, add a box God. called Fees for Services. Yes, fees. And what it said was, if you pay someone more than $500, you have to give them a T4A. Now they ran into a problem. I bill a lot of my clients more than $500. So then people started saying, Same. well, am I supposed yeah. to give my accountant a T4A because I paid him more yep. than $500 for services? And some auditors started fining people for not. And some auditors said, well, of course, that's silly. Yep. And so CRI said, whoa, we've stepped into a big can of worms. Yep. We haven't figured out how to resolve. Yep. And so their official administrative policy on T4As is they are optional in fees for services. So you may well do five yep. jobs during the year and get three T4As, and all five of them have done the right thing. And I apologize, but that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and to make it even but easier that's for the you, answer yeah. we'll ever get. they're optional. Amazing. Uh, the practices, is it, uh, the clients that I have, I refuse to because of this whole dilemma that's occurred <laughs> with them. It's garbage. And so, if you get a contract and you know the value of the contract, you're responsible for making sure that value goes into your tax return. Yeah. Okay? okay. That's the basis of it. Don't anticipate from a lot of engagers that you're going to get a T4A. Keep your contract. Keep your payment records. Sorry. Susan, this year specifically, I found I've gotten more T4As from companies than I expected to, which was nice. Like, even if I'd made more than $500 with them previously, they decided to take up the option. And I find it better from my perspective, because even though I have my own records, it makes it easier just to plug it in the numbers, right? Yeah, yeah but it's not something you should rely on, no, no, is what Ian said. It's also, it's something that I'm trying to save the, the, the client money. Because yeah. if I'm decking around with these useless pieces of paper, it's costing the client money. It, co it, it costs a, them to prepare them. A, a huge preparation cost. In a lot of cases, you can't track it. Uh, people get confused with them. People think you have to issue them for corporations. Christ, at Tarragon, we got one, a T4A. We got <laughs> one issued to us from Harborfront. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right. So it's just, just for a fun. Blur, a blur. <laughs> yeah, just for fun. Wow. So it, there's there's problems with it. You should, in the case where you're doing self-employment, you must have some background and some record of what it is that you're getting paid in the course of a year. Okay. Don't expect that you'll get a form for it. Your invoices are one thing. A contract's probably a bit more solid, and then you could check off the payments that you've received as well. There's some other questions. Other questions? Some over there, a few minutes ago. Now I'm blind. I have a question. Yes. Uh, are we, if you're making less than 30000 independently, are you still claiming on all your expenses? Are you still filing all that Yes. Claim? So you're yep. still a business. You've met what they call a small supplier test. It's one of the few places CRA decided we're going to be nice to businesses. And what they basically said was it's designed for part-time jobs. It's designed for hobbies. So, for example, if you have a hobby business or if you have, you know, nine of your ten people you work for consider you an employee and one consider you self-employed, they've said the administrative overhead of registering for CRA is complicated and messy. And at the end of the day, you're not going to send us very much money. How about you just don't bother? And so they've said you meet this small supplier test. We're going to say, they're saying, you don't have to deal with this, but you're still a business. You still have income that you have to declare as self-employed business income. You still have expenses you can claim against it to reduce your profit and pay less tax, but you don't have to register for HST. Good question, <laughs> <laughs> as someone who runs a hobby business, uh, I, I don't. The, the podcast doesn't generate a lot of money. Like it yeah. doesn't. It just doesn't. It's a very small I'm amount. Sorry, I we still do have, can. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's not necessarily Throw meant to support. Please, please tip. Please tip the bonus. Right. It's, not, it's not necessarily supposed to support. But I do have expenses that accrue, and so I actually take a loss on it. Right. How suspicious is it to yeah. year after year yeah, take uh, a loss? Yeah. You have to three show years. a profit, yeah, at three. some point. Yeah. So three and then a couple years gap and then a... Uh, or? Three, three years is where CRI will... Because what will happen is you'll have other sources of income. You'll have your, your salaried job from doing whatever you do and then this hobby business. They're fine with a hobby business that doesn't make very much money. If at the end you say my podcast makes 300 bucks a year, they go, great, pay the tax on that. If your hobby business loses $500 a year and it does that for more than three years, then they come along and say, so what are you planning yeah. to do to make this profitable? profitable yeah. Because you're lowering the tax you pay on your actual job by declaring this lost business. And so they won't let you do it more than three years. Hmm. He's a paramedic, by the way. He saves lives. Yeah. yeah. Stop saving lives. <laughs> yeah. um, Sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was going to ask what types of things do we have to pay the government that are not taxes that expenses don't help to reduce as a self-employed person? My dad told me I need to keep 10% of everything I make self-employed because that's for CPP. So no matter how many pairs of steel toes I buy, I can't reduce that cost at all. Not quite. So um, CPP is the first tax that's going to kick in. Right. As a self-employed person, if you make a total profit at the end of the year of $8,000, the only thing you're going to pay is CPP. Yep. You get the privilege of paying into the Canada Pension Plan. Normally, half of that's paid by your employer and half yep. of it's paid by you. As a self-employed person, you're both. So that's where you get the 10%. It's 10% of everything between $4,500 and about $55,000. So if you make $8,000, you would say, oh, I, I don't owe any tax. No, you owe 10% of that difference between 8000 and 4500 The other problem, if you've come out of school and you've got tuition credits carrying forward, they'll get rid of your federal tax, they'll get rid of your provincial tax, they won't do anything yep. for CPP. 
CPP okay. caps out around $5,000 a year for self-employed people. Um, and so, yeah, at a minimum, 10% of profit. Um, like I said, my general recommendation is 30% of gross of the total cash you're taking in will cover off all your taxes up to about $80,000, whether you're registered for HST or not. You'll probably end up with too much set aside, but no one's ever complained to me about having too much money set aside. Right. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Cool. Um, I have an employer that pay, I'm on payroll, but they also contract me for other work in which I am paid and they don't tax me oh, on it, God. but they tax me on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is that legal? I don't it's a, like, it's a convenient <laughs> fiction, okay? And I, I, this is, has to, we have to be blunt in a lot of these cases. There's a manipulation that's going on in a lot of, a lot of circumstances. And if it goes, if it's too fluid, in these circumstances, they're trying to escape a, a, a legitimate expenses that they have to pay. And unless there's some pressing reason why they can move you out of the employment agreement arbitrarily, is what it sounds like, I can't see how this can hold. Unless, well, so, it, but, so there's certain situations like actors under a Canadian actor's equity contract Which is different, who yeah. are self-employed yeah. and they cannot be an employee of the theater. So there are some... But not stage managers. But, but not stage, not stage managers. If you're yep. same, yep. Exactly. Yep. Right. Exactly. Because the government doesn't like actors to be employees. <laughs> Real short answer. Um, but it's... Um, on that note, when as a self-employed person, would we, should we, There is, a, you were talking about insurance, Worker Safety Insurance Board insurance? Um, I'm, as you know, in a grey area <laughs> where I can sometimes be an employee and sometimes I'm sending out my services as a self-employed contractor. But as I um, am very confused by this, it seems to be based on whether I'm climbing a ladder. <laughs> okay. Uh, WSIB is a, is a provincial entity, and that's there as the Worker Safety Insurance Board, and its role is to uh, act as uh, the sort of quasi-industry government uh, body that uh, regulates uh, who gets compensated in the event of an injury in the workplace. It uh, is somewhat uh, poorly run and it is not able to detect the enormous pool of people that are out there in the, the workforce. And so uh, you'll get cases where companies have never been registered with WSIV for their entire period of operation. You'll get individuals who have your dilemma, whether they should register for WSIV and pay premiums or not. So there's that form of insurance, which is... Uh, a premium that is uh, based upon what work you do. And there's the other form of insurance, which is just like running a business and having liability insurance. So there's a couple of different things to consider. If cost the show, they could sue you for yep. lots of money. Yep. And you could say, well, I just spilt a can of black paint, I'm sorry. And they say, you owe us 50 grand. Yep. Because we couldn't do the show. Yep. If you had business insurance, you might be in a better situation. Yep, you might be in better shape. Yeah. 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 So and there's not all. If you're an employee in that moment, right? If you're an employee of the company, then that's. 
they can't yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you're you're covered and uh, at some points they do have a WSIV uh, program in place at an employer don't expect that all of them do Correct. I've been in this for 40 years and it's so disorganized there they cannot find employers they cannot they, they, determine where you are yeah they also um, depending on the size of your organization uh, depends on whether or not you need to be a part of WSIB. Yep. Yeah. So smaller organizations uh, may choose to get insurance in other forms as opposed to going the WSIB route. And they might go that route, but you don't know if they've yeah. actually done that. Yeah. So as an individual contractor, is there a way to register for WSIB, yes. pay premiums yeah. and be covered? Yeah. They'd be more than happy to take your money and do nothing with it. And is that, again, a Service Ontario <laughs> uh, No, WSIB is a direct... Uh, okay, so direct WSIB. That's okay. also something that you can, as a business, insure against directly. You can get other kinds of insurance, so your own disability insurance. So if mm -hmm. you fall off a ladder, you can get your own private insurance, which will cover you against that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that would have nothing to do with the business, but that's just another way of mitigating that risk. Yeah. Right. Can you claim insurance on your taxes? Uh, yes, liability insurance is an expense, right? Yeah. yeah. If it's covering your medical expenses, then sort of, but it's not a business expense, no. Right. As an independent contractor, how beneficial is it to register for insurance compared to the expenses of the With, with WSIB? Yes. Uh, well, like all insurance, it's just a contract. And it is, there's no anticipation that it's ever going to pay out. And then we, the Toronto Star just ran an article about a gentleman who's been fighting the WSIB for years to try to get his claim settled. It is there to represent the interests of employers, and it has all of those barriers against claims in place. And if I can say, Janet Celery is someone who works in the theater industry, and she's really focused on health and safety. Uh, she's someone who I go to when I'm working for a company, and I say, should we be WSAB compliant or not? Uh, in a lot of cases, she said no, because of the size of the organization. And then Act One Insurance is a, is an oh, insurance right. company right. that that is specialized for theater industry. So Steve Beatty, who's there, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would suggest looking in various places and, and finding out information about different companies because WSIB has a few things going for it that could be really. Yeah, they just, don't get theater. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah, they're going to try to make you a carpenter and exclusively a carpenter, or you're a rigger, or you're and like your rate is and your rate crazy. will be astronomical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. call Gross. Steve. Yeah, yeah. Quick, just quickly on Janet Celery is amazing. I've yes. spoken with her a bunch of times. She's super meticulous, and we can totally connect you to her. She's awesome. Yeah. So, um, run a small business, have a WSIB account yep. with Province. Uh, currently, do not have private insurance. Um, somebody gets on a site, my labor, not my client, so I'm there for another company. Yes. Um, would I rather have the WSIB in this mess yes. or would I rather yeah. have the <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd rather have the WSIB. Yeah, and sometimes your customer will uh, occasionally, if they're on top of it, will ask for your WSIB they registration have to information. Radio said last year they have to. They have to, but a lot of them aren't even aware of it. There's an online way of doing it. Uh, you can drive around anywhere in, uh, in Toronto and you can look at idiots up on roofs who are yeah. don't have helmets, don't have safety boots. This is the role that the WSIB is supposed to undertake, is prevention of those sorts of circumstances. And so 
uh, when you're on site, uh, it's important that you're covered, and it's equally important for whoever's engaging you to know that and to know that you're covered. Follow up. Um, if somebody, if an audience member, member of the public is hurt by my crew member, is that is that my liability in that moment? That would be like, under. Is that does that does that fall under my insurance claim, yep. or does that yeah. fall under yep. the insurance claim of the company that I? That no, I, that's yours. That's mine because yep. I'm the liability contractor. Yeah, yeah. You're the contractor director at that point. I think insurance is a pretty big topic, but quickly, I'm fairly certain, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we are all legally required to have WSIB. We're all required to be registered, but are we not? Because that, that, is, what, that is what the CBC, the, the CBC told me that last year, that self-employed people, yeah, <laughs> that we are also required to have WSIB numbers. If we're employers, if, sorry, if we're employees, then the employer carries that liability and takes care of it. And if we are self-employed, we are supposed to have our own WSIB numbers, as far as I know. That would be the best practice, yeah. yes. Is that actually nice. happening yeah. everywhere? Yeah. No. 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 No, I mean I can I can walk onto a condo down the street on Bathurst and work for cash and just yep. never yeah. be told about. And That's a thing the, that happens. The high risk world of bookkeeping, I don't bother with it. There's an anticipation you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, you're supposed to be covered. Fell on you, right? Right. Bankers' boxes get heavy. They do. Uh, Put your back out. So I'm thoroughly confused, and I'm sure we're running long. Um, But uh, hopefully, we've all learned something. I think we need to talk about software briefly. Yes. But um, before before we let let this over, um, and then turn it over to questions, if you're still willing to answer questions. I'd just like to say that as a carpenter, um, I expect people who need carpentry to engage a specialist carpenter to get the best carpentry they need. Mm -hmm. Generally, it's actually a little more complicated to skin a flat than you would think, and so you hire a carpenter. Um, As a result of that attitude, if I need somebody to do my taxes... I might not try and do it myself, and I may engage an accountant. And I think that's probably best practice for me. Well, it it segues into something that uh, is going to change next year. Tax preparers are going to have to be registered starting in the the next fiscal year. And I am am so happy. It's it's because there's there's a lot of people who advertise on hydropoles, and they're not competent, and they prepare returns, and the CRA is running into enormous amounts of errors. And it's usually same, the same error. So in the next year, not this year, the next year, uh, all tax preparers will have to register. And you would ask these people who were preparing your taxes if you choose that route to make sure that they give that, they provide that to you. If they don't know what you're talking about, leave. The, right? Amazing. The example I give for people when I'm sitting down and talking with them is every single person in this room can hang a shingle tomorrow saying tax preparer. Yep. There's nothing that prevents you from doing so. You are operating legally to do so and charge people for it. Yep. Make sure that the people you're dealing with, whoever that may be, I'm just, I am serious about that, knows what they're doing and knows what they're talking about. Great. Uh, so oh, that was... One quick thing on yeah. self-employed. Um, we talked earlier about if you're employed, you have to file by April 30th. If you have self-employed income, you in theory can file your return as late as June 15th and be all good. But if you owe them money, you still have to pay them by April 30th. Uh, okay. 
So uh, he, makes, he makes a good point because it's on his website too, and he, he, he says this again on his website. And he says, "But don't, yeah, don't. You've, you've got the grace period. Yeah. But why? But don't. Right. Uh, so if you haven't already, Ian, could you shout out your website? IanEdmonds.ca. It's also on my card if you want one. Fantastic. Amazing. Just for our listeners at home. Yeah. Uh, so uh, thanks very much. That was our 20 minutes introduction wow. on how to do taxes. <laughs> quick, quick, brief intro. On just, just a quick, brief intro. Yeah. Um, please do come up and ask questions. I know I'm well confused, but I think I've learned a bit. Um, and uh, please, pep, we're pep, at pep. an hour and a half. Everyone's still feeling good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can go whenever you want. Also, uh, it is pie day. There's pie over there. The pie is um, delicious. We may we may be running out of podcast time. But uh, if, if you're willing to ask more questions, or answer more questions, please, I'm good please fire away. Run through the software first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Software, yeah. Software. All right. The software that is in place in Toronto is extraordinary. What we have is developers here in the city who are making some of the most adequate, highly adequate, professional accounting software in North America and potentially the world. And one of the ones that we have uh, that I've used extensively is FreshBooks. Our office is up there in DuPont. FreshBooks is is so specific to your cohort that I would recommend it that each of you use as a tool to do your timekeeping and your invoicing. There is a charge that they have. It's tiered. You can go to the site and you can determine what is suitable for you. But there is a free package with a fair amount of restrictions. It's only good for a one-way relationship with it. FreshBooks is one of the examples. One of the other ones that uh, Kess is going to tell you about is the, what she uses. It's called Wave. Um, you do need to be f uh, not afraid of bookkeeping software to use it, but it is free. And there are a lot of um, tools completely free. Right from the app, you can scan your receipts. You can send an invoice right from your time card on your phone. Um, you can get weekly reminders of outstanding invoices, and you don't have to do anything. It's the first setup. If you aren't comfortable with bookkeeping software, I'd suggest getting help getting this set up for the first time because you need a chart of accounts. So you need to put in your revenues, you need to put in your expenses. Um, and I find best practices when you do your expense account, if you're not going to be a particularly complicated organization, is go to your CRA page and say your first line is advertising, that's something you can write off, so that's your first entry in your expense account. The next one is interest meals charges, banks, yeah. meals, entertainment. Follow it exactly so then at the end of the year you're just transferring you're your yeah. information. Um, but as far as usability goes, it's I'm not a technologically savvy person, and I found it very, and it, very user-friendly. Uh, Wave uh, has its office over in Carlaw, and it's uh, got an immense amount of support from both the Ontario government's uh, got some money yes. in it as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's and they uh, answer their phone if you're. They stuck. answer the phone, yeah, and it's its basis is it's advertised supported, but it's also got uh, modules that add on and and that you can pay for as well as well. I've yet to pay for any of it, just for the record. And I, I mean, I was a self-employed contractor before I took the job at Tarragon, and I had several different streams, so I was managing different types of uh, services that were coming in. Um, I also do my husband's uh, self-employed business through that, and I do it all through the same right. app, and it's really And I've moved my, uh, my bookkeeping invoicing to Wave this year from a, a dead system that I was using for a long time. The other one I'll mention, too, which is a paid system uh, here in Toronto as well, it's called HubDoc.com. HubDoc is an aggregator, 
And by that I mean it will pull in a whole array of information that you need as far as invoices, statements, bills, receipts into a central point. You know how uh, you, uh, a utility company will want you to go to their site and retrieve your bill and, you know, there's happy people like getting their bills out of mailboxes, it's idiotic. This thing will <laughs> take all of your passcodes and all of your passwords and, and put them to a central point and retrieve them automatically for you so that they're presented in one place that you go to. Your, all your credit cards, your Hydro, your Enbridge are all resident in one site. Unfortunately, it charges in US dollars for that. So it's a little high priced right now. Monthly? <laughs> yeah, monthly. $20 US monthly for HubDoc. One of the other things that I will suggest, I don't generally recommend specific software packages, but what I would point out, there are some fantastic Canadian ones be careful when you're looking for, especially bookkeeping software, that you're looking for something that's Canadian, Canadian as yeah. a CPA yep. in the States as yep. well. Canadian and U.S. taxes are very different. They don't and understand it. if you're looking at a U.S. software package, it's going to be looking at the wrong things. Yep. It's going to be dealing with the wrong expense categories. The taxes, HST is dealt with differently. Yep. All of those sort of things will be wrong. So make sure you're working with Canadian software if you're using some sort of bookkeeping software. The Australian stuff actually will work because they have a similar thing uh, in New Zealand as well. But yeah, as much as you can give the money and keep the, the, the value in Canada, they are already developing for this market. It's small, but it would be specific to what you need to do. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Before I ask my question, or before I ever ask a question, uh, I think we'll probably post those things on the Bellows uh, Facebook page. Yeah, so we should probably totally do that. Because yeah. I'm, I'm going to want to remember those. So yeah. we'll, we'll get those and we'll put one on the Facebook page. Oh, my Especially God. Michael Cruz already tweeted it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah. We should get commissioned uh, from that. <laughs> so I, do, I do have a question. Please shoot. Everybody ask this. Um, uh, first, for, first question. Um, I know you get um, tax credits for stuff like uh, tuition and uh, books and stuff like that. Um, which is a, a little overdue for me uh, <laughs> as somebody who's never filed their taxes um, and will be very soon. There you go. Uh, do those expire? Do any of these credits expire? Um, the yeah. So the short answer is no, but depending on how far back you're trying to go, CRA may choose to refuse to accept a tax return that is more than 10 years old. So if you went to school 12 years ago, and didn't file your taxes and now try to file them. They are within their rights to say we refuse to accept this return and therefore the tax credits that go along with it. So if you're filing yes. properly and filing on time, your tuition credits will never expire. But if you just don't file for 15 years and then say, oh, I was in school five, you know, 12 years ago, too bad. Hmm. Um, and I have another question. Uh, this this is one. This is uh, it doesn't apply to me right now. I just want everybody to know that. But <laughs> there's this uh, big scary word that I kind of want to get information on and talk about, and that's the idea of being audited. Uh, yes. What is it to be audited? Why do you get audited? And what do you do if you get audited? You grab a beer, you call your mother, and cry. Hmm? Um, it's not a pleasant experience. Uh, I was audited because a member of my family was immediate family was being audited because they had an employer that was doing some shady things. Um, so therefore, the trickle down, and I don't think that I got the full experience that wow, some people who are doing um, 
the shady things themselves. Uh, it's like dealing with the police. Be polite, answer their questions to the best of your ability, you know. And don't get and shot. And cooperate and don't get <laughs> shot. Um, but no, it's it's not a, it's really not a pleasant, and I mean, I'm, I'm up here on a panel talking about this kind of thing and I don't want to do it again. <laughs> um, and I have, my records are CR. organized. Yeah. <laughs> there are triggers that usually yeah. would make an audit fall into your world. Yeah. And Ian probably has more than enough experience <laughs> with that too. So many stories. There so, is, yeah. So, there are definitely things that will trigger audits. Uh, one of the things to keep in mind is that CRA gets tax returns from everyone across the country. So, for example, as an accountant, when I submit my own taxes, if my meals and entertainment are way higher yes. than most accountants, yeah. Yeah. CRA is going to come knocking saying, hey, we noticed that your meals and entertainment yeah. is really high. Mm -hmm. Could you explain what you're spending it on and provide receipts? Even within a district, it's that yeah. much rich information that is available to them so that if dis it's disproportionate with other accountants in Toronto, in Toronto, in Toronto I've seen, I've seen people who've been audited for you make less than other people in your profession yeah. in cities of your size. Yeah. What's going on? You know, other people in your profession, lawyers, for example, other lawyers in small towns make a lot more than you do. What's up? Um, so some of their audits are very detailed. Some of them are very high level. Um, I think I had a high level one because yeah. they were looking for <laughs> hidden income. Yeah. Like my sister was suddenly paying my bills. Yeah. The kinds of audit you can get vary enormously depending on why they picked you. They do randomly pick some people every year. Those ones are fairly high level. They're just going, we just want to make sure that you're kind of supporting your stuff. Some of them are very detailed yep. if they think you're going, you're hiding something. One thing to keep in mind is that their normal period for reassessing your return, so coming back and asking questions, is three years after it's been assessed. So if hypothetically someone hadn't filed for 10 years and you all of a sudden batch file all of them right now, they will assess all of them, and they have until 2019 to ask questions on your return from 13 years ago, 10 years ago. If you file on time, once that three-year window is gone, unless they can prove actual fraud, they can't go back and do anything about it. If you just say, I lost those receipts, there's not a lot they can do. That's right, Kevin. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, <laughs> if you're late filing. So admitting yeah. to a room full of people that you haven't filed in seven years is not enough to get Oh, Kevin didn't do that, though. He had a hypothetical situation. Yeah, yeah there's a hypothetical man named Kevin. Um, so you only have to provide receipts if you get reassessed or audited? If, you, if CRA asks for them. Yeah. Normally, when you file the return, you just say, my meals and entertainment were $650. Canada operates on what's called a self-reporting system. Yeah. You tell them what your numbers are, and unless they ask for more questions, they just go with it and say, all right, you mm -hmm. told us this yep. was your number, so we're good. They'll fix math errors on your mistake. If you hand-do your return and it's wrong, they'll fix it for you. Um, but if you've got receipts, you have to keep them for seven years, but unless they ask, you don't have to do anything with them. Main thing is be well-organized, be detailed, <laughs> and know where you got the numbers from. This is a part of just your whole business apparatus, and I think uh, you should look at these sorts of sessions as part of your fiscal fitness, and this is something you're going to have to maintain for the rest of your lives. Yeah. Not we're like we're asking you to stop smoking dope or anything like that, but it's so that you maintain <laughs> yeah, some sort of <laughs> regimen with what you do with, with, your, with your business, with your employment, with your tax filing. And you'll recall this years from now, oh yes, this is why I'm undertaking all these things. And 
keep in mind if you're filing a self-employed or as a sole proprietor, you are a business in CRA's eyes. Yeah. The answer, I didn't think to keep those receipts, I didn't care, I couldn't be bothered, I've thrown them out, doesn't fly. They will just take those things off your return and say, great, if you can't support them, we're not letting you claim them. They don't care what your business is. But once you're caught up, once you're caught up, you're yeah. Good. Next year yep. is so much easier. Yeah. Yes, I'm looking forward to that yeah. year. <laughs> you know, I was we were chatting. I was saying that my in-laws still do things. Um, oh God. The old-fashioned way with paper yeah. and the tables, and they have their stacks of receipts and all their stacks of, and then. Now that they have this, the new feature where oh, yes, it right. carries, yep. so you fill out your questionnaire, you give your name, your date of birth, your address, and then next year, unless you move or anything, it carries forward that information. Right. And it'll carry forward your tax credits and you, you work them down. And, but now they have an autofill feature that is slowly being rolled out. So nice. That is, yep. is uh, available on TurboTax, but tomorrow on U-file, U-file, U-file yeah. mm-hmm. you go to your My Account and... From your, you open it, and from your tax file software, you say autofill, and any T4 that's been submitted for you, any RRSP slips, T4A, T4As, it just goes populates T3s and T5s. Ta-da! So it even just takes out that that data entry. I mean, you still want to check it to make sure everything did, in fact, Mm -hmm. go over. But it took less than 20 minutes to do my sister's return this year. It also means that if you didn't get a copy of your T4A or your T4, but your employer sent a copy to CRA, you will get it included in your taxes because CRA's first answer will be, we fixed a mistake in your return and added it in, please send us more money. Yeah. (laughs) Because they have a copy of it. Um, Just about the My Account, as far as I remember, it's not like instant to get that. They have to like send you a letter with your password. Yes. I I, I got a, yeah. April 29th. I've got a flow chart to show people uh, that's from their website that shows how to obtain a My Account. It, it would be the one thing that uh, I can strongly suggest you take away is to go and open one of these in the next week, week and a half, if you don't have one currently. Mm-hmm. CRA, just to address some of the scams that people came up with last year, CRA is communicating with people by email now. They have been very clear to say that the only thing they are doing by email is sending people a le- an email saying, there's something in your My Account, go look at it. Yeah. yeah. They won't That's email right. you a notice of assessment. They yeah. won't email you a payment demand. They won't email you anything like that. Yeah. And they don't take payment through email. It's just been, you know, there's an email, there's a notice in your My Account. Yeah. You should go check Log it. Log in. Yeah. Hmm. Everyone wants to get to the pie. Yeah. yeah. Is there pie left? There shouldn't be pie. If you bake the pie. Right. Do we want to get to the pie? Are we all sufficiently scared? Is that what this is? Yeah? All right. Thank you very much. I hope you're feeling more comfortable than I. And that was our special presentation of The Bellows, Mo Money, Mo Problems. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good, with voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at thetitleblockca and on facebook.com forward slash thetitleblockpodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to thetitleblock at gmail.com. Don't forget that if you like the show, support us on patreon.com. And I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on the title block.